This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that you can get delivered to your door for a fraction of the price you'd pay in stores. To learn more, visit casper.com slash supertrain. And by Audible. Audible is a leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the internet. To learn more and get your first audiobook for free, please visit audible.com slash supertrain. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? What? Captain Sensible came up like uh, twice this weekend. No, impossible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul Schaefer uh, mentioned him on, I think, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So then I went and watched the video for what? Yes. Your favorite. <laughs> Well, it's a great video because they they do like a conga line all the way through a hospital. They should do a uh, retrospective of videos featuring the singer wearing a beret. Oh, is is a thought I just had. You, Did, got, okay, uh, you got him. You got Captain Sensible. Always wore a red beret. Yeah. Got the guy. I don't know his name. The guy from Survivor. Beret. Ugh. Yeah. It's the eye of the tiger. It's the thrill of the fight. I think Joni yeah. Mitchell frequently wore a beret. Who okay. am I missing? Um, what about, uh, did, did Tony Tennille wear a beret at any point? Tony Tennille, Mrs. Dragon? <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 uh, uh, I got one. Uh, 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 the walrus guy from, uh, Doobie Brothers. Jeff, oh, uh, yeah. Skunk yeah, Baxter. Uh, skunk ba- Baxter, that's skunk- right. <laughs> skunk Bat- <laughs> Bastic. Yeah, he, he wore a beret. Uh, it's true. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Uh, berets, berets, famous berets. Famous for berets for four hundred, Alex. Mm. Um, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm, you know, it's real early, and I'm, not... I'm sorry. You know what? I withdraw the question. Yeah, it's all right. Well, I'll think about it, and, and as it as it comes up, um... I'll capture those. Maybe we'll make a playlist. Groucho Marx in his in his later years. Not not he he was a musician, not known primarily for being a musician. And uh, yeah, you know what? Technically, there's videos. Uh, Lydia, Lydia, have you seen Lydia? Lydia, the tattooed lady. There's a video for that. Yeah, he wore a beret in his later years, but not like a skunk Baxter. Mm, mm, yeah, mm. it's early. It's really, really early. What's the uh, What's the TV show uh, with the guy uh, who was who's, who who um, invented Seinfeld? Oh, curb your enthusiasm. There it is, yeah. Curb your enthusiasm. Curb your enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Is there a Bray wearer on there? Uh, I don't... You know who's on there is uh, Sean Nelson's Uncle Bob is on there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Super Super Dave Osborne. Super Dave Einstein is on there, yep. Yeah, he, what kind of name is that? Uh, Super Dave, you know, he used to write for the Smothers Brothers with Steve Martin back in the 60s. Yeah, no, that was a joke. That was a pa- reference to... Reference to a time. Mm. Did I ever tell you the story? Which one? Did I ever tell you the story? I, I'm, uh, I'm, it's really early here. It's very early. Are you on the West Coast? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So not technically early. Well. But, uh, you know, early. Uh, no, I was... Um, so Sean and I were in um, Palm Springs. And uh, we... <clears throat> 
we went to visit my uncle, who at the time lived lived in Palm Springs, and uh, and we were going to have dinner there. He said, you know, why don't you come have dinner at the house? He didn't say it that enthusiastically because my uncle didn't. He, he never said anything that enthusiastically, and he really didn't care if we joined him for dinner. That's a good note. But, but he did. But he did. Uh, he did, that's right. In the, as you're playing my uncle, you only give an actor line readings. <laughs> Listen, <but> just... <laughs> he does not care if we're having dinner, but he is obligated to invite us to dinner. <laughs> and, um, turns out at the time, uh, uh, Bob Einstein, super Dave Osborne and his wife, Sean's aunt mm-hmm. are also in Palm Springs. And so wow. at, at the time, so my uncle, Hearing this, or hearing this, uh, says, "Well, why don't they come to dinner too?" And he doesn't doesn't really care if they come to dinner either. But he's they, equally equally nonplussed. He's not excited. He says, "Bring along some Einsteins." He's fine, okay. right? He's fine. He uh, he's not. A, you know, he actually is a cook. He likes to cook, so he's going to be cooking the dinner, and that's what he's excited about. Okay. He's excited to get to cook for people. He doesn't. He's not interested in me or them. Okay. But they show up. Super Dave Osborne, Bob Einstein, very tall guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Sean's uh, aunt is a, is a smaller lady. Uh, we mill around. We're having cocktails. It's a nice, you know, it's a nice experience. Everybody's enjoying each other. And uh, uh, Bob Einstein tells a story about uh, the fact that his, the reason his brother is... Albert Brooks, Albert Brooks is his brother, Mm -hmm. and he said that his father named him Albert Einstein. Yeah. That's why he had the stage name Albert Brooks, right? That's a good story. It's a good story. It's a great story. Tell it at a cocktail party. Sure. But then my uncle is standing there holding a drink in his hand, and he goes, Einstein, Einstein, what kind of name is that, Einstein? (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. And uh, it was... Hmm. There was a, t- a lot of, in addition to probably not knowing who any of the people are that we we're talking about, uh, there was a time when that was a very uh, normal question to ask in America. That's right. Not always That's a happy right. question, but it was not at all unusual to ask questions like, you don't do this so much today, but to say to somebody like, where are you from? Yeah. What kind of name is that? Or, or what kind of name is that? And, and my, uh, my uncle, who had a Scandinavian last name. Um, it was uh, he was exhibiting the kind of casual anti-Semitism that used to be very, very popular among uh, the white um, Anglo. Impossibly uh, casual, um, like a well-worn just, windbreaker. Yeah, just that sort of golf club set, the type of people that donated money to the art museum, mm-hmm. although the art museum was actually probably paid for uh, largely by the the the. Uh, you know the the benefactors who uh, probably the top three givers were Jews. Sure, but, but it's the kind of thing where you, you meet somebody, uh, you, meet, you meet a multiracial child, and and you ask, is she adopted? Yeah, right. Or or yeah, right. Exactly. Or you see the video of the lady running on screen to get the kids off the BBC program, and everybody assumes uh, it's the housekeeper. The housekeeper. What kind of name is that? What kind of name is that? And um, Super Dave. Uh, Bob Einstein, you know he—he's dry. He's, very, he's really dry. He's, he's very dry. even for Palm Springs. He's a very dry man. Yeah, not he was you know nonplussed. He's been fielding that stuff his whole life, I'm sure. But boy, Sean and I made hay out of it uh, 
for many, many, many hours driving across America. What kind of name? What kind of name is that? Einstein. <laughs> There's not really that many situations where that has anything less than anything better than a neutral meaning. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's not I, the kind I, of. That's not the kind of. It's almost like you know. It's the classic like seeing a black kid on a bike and going, "Did you steal that?" You know. It's like you know. <laughs> Well, just... and the thing is, he's in Palm Springs. You know, it's not like he it's not like there aren't any Jews in Palm Springs. Hmm. I mean, he knows what kind of name it is. Yeah. Uh but yeah, just a kind of funny at one time, one time at Christmas many years ago when I was in my 20s. I was at Christmas at a giant family gathering. I was going through a little bit of a phase. And uh and I started holding court. And uh, you know, in my family, of course, you holding court isn't unusual. Stand there, you start Talking, a group of people gathers. Pretty soon, you're holding. Oh, so court. some people play cards. <laughs> it's we we uh, my family traditions were stand around the piano and sing, and uh, the four people that could sing would carry the the uh, twelve people that couldn't sing. <laughs> but everybody loved to sing. Stand around the piano and sing. We had a whole songbook of family songs. We'd sit around and sing all these songs from 1910. That was one thing we all did always at family gatherings. But then, you know, various people would hold court. And, uh, and I, you know, I was in my mid-20s, so I was just really coming into my, uh, my time of holding court. The court years. Right? Now, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's my number one activity. But then I was just, I was brand new. And I said, you know, my theory is that, um, you know, that we're, uh, because I'm talking to a group of people, the common bond uh, with whom are the Rochester family. The Rodericks were kind of some Welsh interlopers that got in there at the last minute, but the Rochesters were the, you know, that's the that's our connection to all of our, at least on my father's side, all of the waspy heritage. And I said, my, my theory is really that this is an Ellis Island story, that our family really is an Ellis Island story, and changed our name from, you know, from... Rothstein to Rochester at Ellis Island and then made up this enormous backstory. But really, I feel much more akin to the Jews than to Christians. And I really feel that that, you know, there are sort of like our family nature just suggests to me that we are that we're probably much more likely Eastern European Jews than we are whatever, you know, Episcopalian uh you know, uh, Mayfla- Mayflower types that we that that our family mythology has sort of laid out for us, and I'm I'm holding forth, and you know everybody under fifty who's listening to me is listening to me with this kind of like these pinched faces, squinty eyes, trying to grasp what I'm saying, but everybody over fifty is emphatically like, no, not. The story that is not the story at all, and I had a I had an excellent like twenty minutes on stage in my uncle's living room, parrying these seventy year olds. I was like, well, you know, the thing about an Ellis Island story is it's really unclear. You know, you, you can never really know. Mm-hmm. They were like, you you're, can so, you're, know. So, you're so wise. <laughs> you can know, <laughs> uh, and you know there there are a lot of family Bibles that that yeah. you know that are there. To, Maybe maybe fill in the gaps, 
but at 24. Were you able to like illuminate the situation by describing things like history and philosophy and uh, really ontology, like how we even know what we know, epistemology? Like, were you able to like really lay out for them in a way because they're they're probably not not as smart as you. Like, you were able was, probably to really bring 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 some uh, sophistication to the discussion of their lives. I was really, really in the middle of being in college at the time. <laughs> because a lot of people when they're 24 years old are no longer in college, Mm-mm. you know. Mm-mm. They're already in the workforce. You've gone pro. Uh, but I had decided that college was where I was going to live for <laughs> for the next 15 years. And so I really had some college words and had read some college books. This was, you know, this was the heyday of college. Oh, college was huge. And so, if I mean, you, I might be a little late here. We're a little bit separated. But we're talking about, like, everything was postmodern. You got the structuralism. Like, oh, there are so many different angles to explain how people older than you don't get it. Mm, third wave feminism. Oh, Remember, sing was it, a, sister. That was a big deal, right? Oh. Camille Paglia was out there not being. She, she was saying she was, wasn't a feminist. Mm. Oh, boy. Take that, mom. Kapow. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a big time, right? All sex was rape. <laughs> It was. Uh, oh, you got was, uh, Andrew Dworkin. Yep, that's right. That's right. Good, good way, way to grab that reference. <laughs> yeah, you got Andrew Dworkin. You got Camille Paglia. Now, who was mm-hmm. the uh, N- Naomi uh, Campbell? No, no Naomi, Naomi Campbell. <laughs> Naomi. Yeah, Naomi Watts. Yeah, Naomi she's Watts. the one who wrote that other feminist book that was popular in the early nineties. That's right. That's and right. I think in some ways Camille Paglia was uh, that generation's, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Doctor What's her name? Uh, Doctor What's her name? You know, like she was just oh, she Dr. was everywhere. Dr. You know what I'm talking about? Doctor Joyce Brothers. Doctor, oh, that's right. It's unclear to Not, me like exactly what her profession was, apart from talking about what her profession was. She was uh, kind of Dr. the Charles Nelson Riley of that era, and then I think you pivot, you get a Camille Paglia, and she would, yeah, you know, I mean, she she'd show up for like a you know car lot opening. Uh, Camille Paglia, I think for two years there, yeah, right, uh, didn't sleep. She said she'd Mm-mm. sleep when she's dead. That's right, she did. She was, third, third wave, they call it. Because she was everywhere. Well, here's another question. What did Anita Bryant do? What was her job? Anita Bryant was... She was like an orange juice That was later. She was originally a singer from that era where there were lots of lady singers. She was she was kind of like a less talented Rosemary Clooney, I think. Rosemary Clooney really? from, from Cincinnati, very good singer. Yeah, now, yeah, she's yeah, not but, remembered uh, well, today, but Rosemary Clooney was was a very good singer. She's George Clooney's uh, aunt. That's right. That's right. And and uh, my, my my parents were friends with Nick. Nick really? Clooney. Nick Clooney? Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 What he's he's Nick, lesser known. Now in Cincinnati, he was the baller Clooney. Everybody knew Nick Clooney because he had a TV show on the TV. Oh. Yeah. I thought you were gonna say he was a Pontiac dealer, but he had a he had a uh, a TV show, Nick Clooney. Nick Clooney, Nick Clooney. No, my, my grandfather worked at a car dealership, but that was an older time in Cincinnati. What I want to get to though is that you I think the important thing here is being somebody who is a professional college student and who yeah. has had access to so many new thought technologies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it would be doing you love your family nominally. Mm-hmm. You would be doing mm-hmm. them a disservice not to update them on what they think they understand about life. Can what, you imagine uh, having leaving them in that in that Rousseauian state? Like you need to get in there and straighten them out. The number one thing I did was um, was explain that if you clear cut the forests, uh, where would the animals live? Right. When we throw something away, where's away? Well, no, not that because mm-hmm. uh, it was much more specifically about clear cutting forests because, of course. My uncle, uh, the 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 self same uncle. Oh, he was a what? Wirehauser? 
Uh, yeah. yeah, he and at the time uh, he was president of Macmillan Bloedel, Canada's largest timber. Macmillan Bloedel. So you're going way beyond exotic hardwoods here. You're talking about this just is, the whole enterprise. We're yeah, we're saying like not only are we taking all the trees down from Alaska to Seattle, any any anywhere along the Canadian coast there that you can't see from the road, we're going to steal all the trees. <laughs> but also, but also uh, Brazil, they were they were pioneering exotic uh, hardwoods. They would yeah. go in there. They do. They call it clear cutting. Yes, clear cutting mm. is what they would call it. Mm-hmm. That was a popular Christmas time uh, conversation topic too. <laughs> you at guys. the table when everybody would sit down at the table, and I would go, "Where are the animals going to live?" Boy, that was a nice. Oh, that was man. that was just a. Uh, you could hear the you could hear the forks dropping on the plate. <laughs> I went yesterday to the former Weyerhaeuser headquarters, which, when it was built in the late 60s, uh, was like a pioneering building. Um, like it was a, it was ecologically constructed. It was open plan. It was built with the integrated with the environment in order to be the most pleasant possible workspace. It was really a pioneering building. If you look it up, Weyerhaeuser headquarters, not the new one, but the old one, you'll see that it is a, that it's a wonderful structure and it's iconic here in the Northwest because you can see it from the interstate as you're driving South. It's out in the middle of nowhere. You're driving along and all of a sudden there's this gap in the trees and you see this enormous building kind of out in the distance. It's enormous wide more than it is tall. And you go, what the hell is that? And then the then the gap closes as you drive and you're like, and you never see it again. And a lot of people are have never never figured out what it is. But it was the warehouser building. And it's surrounded by five hundred acres of of like exotic rhododendrons. It's it's uh, there's a bonsai museum out there with like wow. bonsai trees from there's a bonsai there's a bonsai tree that started growing in 1500. Uh, and I and I went there because Weyerhaeuser just built a brand new headquarters right in the center of downtown Seattle. Uh, in fact, right in the center of downtown Seattle where they didn't tear down a single building, but they built it on top of some old shitty parking lots. So in that sense, and it's like right in Pioneer Square, it's totally changing what Pioneer Square does. This is some inside Seattle yeah. uh, golf. But anyway, this warehouser building is now completely empty. Absolutely not a stick of furniture in it. And it's designed, it was always designed to be looked through, right? It's glass on both sides. So you can walk around it and just look through the entire building. It's five or six stories completely empty. Huh. And uh, it's a real head trip. I was, I, because um, it's a, you know, it's a massive place, the campus of it. And I really, really, I had two thoughts. One, it's a, uh, for the next year or so until they lease it again, somebody needs to use it as the set of a science fiction film. I can't believe that hasn't well, been why done. Is it, why is it sitting there empty? What's up with that? Well, I think... It, it says here the headquarters are uh, Federal Way, Washington. Yeah, that's in Federal Way, Washington. Uh, that's right down there by by Tacoma. Okay. Uh, I think what it is is there are very few companies in the world that can, that really need a, a campus with that much square footage, mm-hmm. and particularly one because the fashion right now is for urban 
campuses. You want more of like an artisanal pop-up uh, paper company. Yeah, you want your company to be there so the so you can attract all those hip young engineers who want to unicycle. It's like in Portland, that part of town where all the paper trucks go. So at lunchtime, you can go and get some paper from a truck. Yeah, you any kind of wood paper. products, you get pulp. You know, you renewable get, uh, energy. You get Lebanese paper. You get uh, Thai paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I think that eventually it won't be long before some radical startup type person. Um, decides that what he or she wants to do is have their company be out in the woods of Federal Way, living in, or working in like a like a space building. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, that's not what's happening. Right now, companies are buying old warehouses in in the cool part of town. That's just the that's just the time. That won't last. Hmm. I I wanted to start a startup, Merlin, just to just to have my company work at that building. I think I think the building is the company. Hmm. Right? The building's the startup. You know, uh, I'm interested in this idea, very interested, because frequently when you go to a website nowadays, it used to be every site, you know, would have uh, about us. And, and now frequently, you might see an about us, but frequently you'll see a section titled Our Story. Our story. Our story. And so you want to talk about how, not just how you're coming, let's not be, let's not be mercantile about this. <laughs> right. You want to talk about the life-changing event or philosophical breakthrough or problematic problem that you had to deal with that caused you to need to make this company, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, right, you had to do it. You had to do it. It's, it's beyond a mission. That's a different section. You go mission statement. That's a different section. But mm-hmm. our story is where you talk about your journey. So yeah, your journey begins okay. with needing to fill a building, building up with, uh, with people. See, that's our story. That's, that's your our, story. What's our story? I saw this building. I needed to fill it up. Maybe that's the startup. Maybe the startup is that we, 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 you know what? Here's the thing. It's got a little bit of real estate management. It's got a little bit of VC. Maybe your startup is, uh, I wouldn't call it building fillers. We're going to need a better name mm-hmm. than that. But basically, <laughs> your entire business is based on funding businesses to fill in existing places. So you could, for example, uh, turn a bunch of old uh, Taco Bells and uh, Pizza Huts into dentist offices. Hmm. But see, mm-hmm. but that's the thing is you want to go, you want to go wide, you want to go deep, right? It could be a, a beautiful glass building, you know, or it could be a loco taco over here that, that needs to be repurposed. Actually, the people that bought this building, that is their business. They buy old offices, they buy big old offices and turn them into offices. Wow. Right? Wow. Uh, that's their, the whole company is based on buying old offices and turning them into offices. You just blew my and, mind. And I read this. I read this article as I was trying to research the place that I was, and I was like, "How do I get into that racket?" And what what they do is they take other people's money, they buy big office complexes, and then they turn them into offices, and then they they rent them or sell them for money, and they pay the other people, the people that they, whose money they use. They I guess they pay them back somehow. And then whatever money's left over is their money. That's their business. I don't know about the paying the money back part. Let's wait for that. We don't. Okay, we're, okay. We're, I'd like to say on Shark Tank, we're, we're pre-revenue right now. But, okay, but I'm very right. intrigued in the idea of a company. It's a it's a real lean startup where the idea is the very first thing is we need to get us into a building, and then right. once we get into a building, we bring in new. I'm going to call them building affiliates, mm-hmm. and now those people are going to go out and find other. They're going to start. They're going to need to get into buildings right mm-hmm. to create mm-hmm. more opportunities to help people get. It's not. It's not a pyramid scheme. No, it's more of an inverted triangle. Unless we can get an actual pyramid as part of this. <coughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Casper. 
You can learn more about Casper right now by visiting casper.com slash supertrain. Casper is a company that is focused on sleep. Casper has created one perfect mattress that it sells directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Casper's award-winning mattress was developed in-house. It has a sleek design and it's delivered in an impossibly small box. In addition to the mattress, Casper now also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. See, an in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. So it's no surprise that they've received over 20,000 reviews online with an average of 4.8 stars. Wow. Casper's mattress is made of a supportive memory foam. It's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design helps you regulate your temperature throughout the night. Casper makes quality mattresses at great prices, and they are designed, developed, and assembled in America. They've cut the hassle and costs of dealing with showrooms, and they pass the savings directly to the consumer. Now, consumers like me. I, for example, have just recently purchased my second Casper mattress for my daughter, and she is loving it. Uh, it's the best. She, she, uh, she stacks them up really high like a princess. The best. Casper. And buying a Casper mattress, it's a completely risk-free proposition. Casper offers free delivery and free returns to the U.S. and Canada with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. And right now, you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com supertrain and using the very special offer code supertrain. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for supporting Roderick on the line and all the great shows. Right? I mean, think about okay. it. Those buildings are empty. Game changed. Okay. It's, right liter- it's, it's literally, it, you know what? I'm not going to lie to you. It's mm. not a scheme. It's a pyramid program. <laughs> That's right. It's a pyramid. We help oh, get you into it. We project. find empty or disused pyramids. We renovate them. And then uh-huh. you fill that up. And then you, now you build up your, they call it your downline. You're going to go now and get other people into future pyramids. So, so, Future so, pyramids. For instance, here's a person. Uh, they're, they started, uh, let's say they started a Snapchat, uh, and they're thinking, oh, I want to have my office headquartered in uh, in Venice, California. You say, no, 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 no. Have you considered the Yucatan? Mm. Have you considered the Yucatan? I can put you into a whole complex business park, basically, with, of pyramids, and uh, it'll be very cost competitive. Very competitive with what you would pay in Venice. Hmm. I think that's how you start. That's how you start generating some cash flow, or at least and interest. You're generating. You're generating some some interest because first you need to tickle their buying bone, don't you think? You got to get them. Buy- you got to pivot, right? You got to get them out of their current mindset, and you get a little pivot. You get them yeah. thinking about pyramids. Well, sure, and you think like, oh, you're trying to attract some young software engineers who just got out of college, and you're saying, oh, live on Venice Beach. You know, there's a Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Stand or whatever. You can ride your unicycle back and forth to work. Or move to to the Yucatan Peninsula and live in a historic campus Mm -hmm. surrounded by, like, low jungle. There are some cenotes Mm. where you can scuba dive all the way to the seventh level of hell. Oh, that is bueno. Right? There are gigantic lizards, and you, you never have to see your parents again. John, that is so much more interesting than, than like playing Frisbee polo in Venice Beach, with all due respect. But see, I'm just, you know, so we're, we, we, turn that, we, we turn that property, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We go around the world. Think of all the pyramids there are. Oh, look on my works, ye mighty in despair. What's it going to take <laughs> for me to get you in this pyramid today? 
And almost every pyramid, I can guarantee you, is empty right now. Well, you know, it's this is the thing. This is ugh, there's so many angles to this. First of all, every one of these dingling CEOs wants to eventually become. I mean, you know, we're looking today at Elon Musk. We're looking at a uh, we're looking at a Musk. We're looking at the Zuckerberg. You look at any of these guys; they're obviously all modeling themselves on previous generations of CEOs and supervillains. There's no question about that. And mm-hmm. so now we look. Oh, these guys, look at them. He's going to space. But they all kind of want to be. They kind of want to be David Branson. They kind of want to be blow. Feld, and like mm. it, you, you say to them, mm. look, it's a pyramid. It's a pyramid. You're gonna have to fill this with all kinds of stuff, or you know what? You fill it with nothing, or, you, or maybe you put more pyramids inside. Whoa, once you're on I your like own this. affiliate, once you're on your own affiliate downline, you decide how to run that operation. Fill it with nothing. Oh, oh, oh mm. my God! Free shipping. Fill it with Free shipping on Amazon Prime. Nothing. I'm. I see myself now. Uh, or you and I, I'm sorry, because yeah. we just founded this business together, but here uh, we no, are. No, I got a feeling I'm going to be the Andrew Garfield character. I got a feeling uh, I'm the one who gets pushed out. Or maybe I'm a Winkle Winklevoss. Am I a Winklevoss? Yeah, you might be a Winklevoss. You know, the Winklevosses and the, and the Garfields, they got paid pretty well. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, not you know, maybe they didn't uh, maybe they Who's didn't the other guy the in that movie? Oh, number. you know who it is? It's... Um, it's the guy from that boy band. It's not Jonah Hill. It's uh, no, it's, um, it's uh, just Justin Justin Bieberflake. Justin Bieberflake. Yeah, Justin Bieberflake. That's the one. Uh, he's in that movie. That's he's, right. And he's the guy that founded Napster. He's the and Napster you know, guy. He's the one who ruined your career, John. Last night, no, two nights ago, I was at a party, and uh, a guy. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, a, uh, a lady mm. comes over to me, sits down next. So anyway, I show up to this party. I haven't. I didn't. It's a party where you pay some money to, for the ticket, and you come and you get a steak dinner. Hmm. And um, and a friend of mine was going to the party, and said uh, you got to come to the party. And I was like, yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to go to the party. I didn't want to buy a ticket. I didn't want to go. Is the thing. And then at the last minute, I said, all right, I'll go to the party. Uh, and my friend said, well, you don't have a ticket. And I was like, you know, let me handle that. <laughs> so we get to the party, and I. Uh, you know, and uh, my friend has an assigned seat, right? It's assigned seating at these these round tables. Table number four, table number five, et cetera, et cetera. This is so confusing. I'm sorry. Is this a charity event? It's a charity event. Yeah. Okay. All right. When we say party, I'm thinking, yeah, okay. Well, it's a, you know, it's a, the thing is, all these auctions nowadays, they present themselves as parties, oh, right? There's sure. going to be dancing. It's yeah. like, it's fun. There's a silent auction. You walk and around. An auction in parties clothing. Yeah. I hate these things. Yeah. Uh, I hate them because uh, 99% of the things I don't want, right? I don't want a basket of wine. I don't, want a, I don't want a bastic of uh, cheese. I don't want any kind of bastic. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to bid $2,500 on uh, like a ride around the lake on somebody's boat. You know, I don't want any of it. We, we had the school auction this weekend. <clears throat> and you know how it is. it's the company store. It's the company store, right? So yeah. my my wife, uh, my wife, she led the production of her of our my daughter's classrooms project to, to sell at the auction. Oh, so she, she basically, did. yeah. So here's the thing: she basically paid for and helped create the piece of art. She worked at the auction <laughs> Saturday night. And do you want to make any guesses about who bought the art? <laughs> Let's see. Was it your wife? She should be working in the development team for Pyramids, 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 or whatever yeah. we end up calling it. My mom used to I say, "I think she about, gets she gets the recursive nature of this." 
about the about those bake sales and stuff. You know, well, yeah, right? like it's... in this case, you got to go to this party and like, you know what? Can I just? How about I instead I give you two hundred dollars not to yep. come? That was always always what my mom said she, because they they used to pay for this stuff with bake sales. There weren't auctions when we were kids, right? There were bake right. sales. Every every uh, well, let's be honest. Every mom would make a casserole or a cake or a pie. Yeah, and then they'd uh, set up tables in the gym and uh, and the pies and cakes would be all around, and then you'd I guess walk around and. What, just buy them, or was there bidding? I don't remember. Well, I but think if mom- you got a, there's some cases you can have like a, a Bastic lunch, and if mm-hmm. you want to impress a lady, I, I learned this on Gilmore Girls, if you, if you want to get somebody's particular Bastic, then you bid on them, and that by, oh. proxy, by proxy becomes your affection for them. Oh, right? it's, the, it's like the bachelor auction at, uh, in Groundhog Day. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. My mom would always say, I don't want to make a cake, I don't want to make a pie, I don't want to go to this thing, can I just give you $200? And they were God. like, oh, you don't, you just don't understand. This is like a, you know, it's fun. It should be fun. Yeah, I'm doing a, I'm doing a fun run. Do you want to fund me? And I'm like, can I just give you $20 and we stop talking? Yeah. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to sign anything. I don't want to get emails about this. I don't want to no. be put on a list. That, that's the thing, John. You sign up for any of these things, you get put on a list. Well, I'm already on those lists. I'm on those lists. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, I, I don't know. I, the thing is, I'm probably going to be pushed out maybe by the end of this program, but I'm mm-hmm. here to tell you, pyramids, pyramids, pyramids will never contact you without your, your express uh, permission. Well, I mean, you unless, know. Unless we have to pivot. We have to pivot to uh, You know outreach. what? If you want to unsubscribe, it's right down there at the bottom. Where uh, instead of unsubscribe, it says adjust your preferences. You can adjust oh, your adjust your preferences. Adjust your preferences, and then somewhere in there, if you click on that, you're going to find somewhere an opportunity to unsubscribe. Where when you click on it, it's going to say, "Are you sure you want to unsubscribe? Have you really considered?" Yeah, this? really serious. And here's the other thing: pyramids, pyramids, pyramids. Way too long. What if we shorten to that too? You ready for this? Pyramids cubed. Oh, whoa. How are we going to spell pyramids? That's the big question. We're going to have to spell it funny. I think we have to remove... Okay, well, let me type it we'll up. I think we have to remove vowels. some vowels. Uh-huh. Pyramids. Uh, and in then, this case, is Y a vowel? I mean, this is one of those instances. Oh, A-E-I-O-U and sometimes Y. Sometimes Y, and I think this is a sometimes situation P-R-A-M. here. P-R-A-M. No, that's just says prams. <laughs> right? Oh, 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 pyramids. P-E-E-R. Oh, Bob! Brain explosion. Here comes the money truck. P double E R A M I D Z. I have to write that out to I'm see gonna, it. I'll, text again? It, I'll text it P- to you. Okay. okay. It's, I, 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 here's what I've got so far. And we're just workshopping this. P E E R A M I D. And I, I'm going with Z. Because I, I think that's going to be easier. The, it's going to be easier to copyright. Go on, no, go ahead. I feel like with, I feel like the Z makes it seem like a like a Australian children's band. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Audible. You can learn more about Audible right now by visiting audible.com slash supertrain. You guys know Audible. It is the place to go to find all kinds of great audio content. Audible includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine, and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Audible is offering listeners of Roderick on the Line a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. You just go over to audible.com slash supertrain and browse their amazing selection of audio programs. You download a title for free and just start listening. It's that easy. Uh, I want to recommend a book this week I think is uh, right up the Roderick on the line alley. It's a book called Blitzed, colon, Drugs in Nazi Germany. 
The book is written by Norman Oler, and it's narrated by Jonathan Keeble. And this is a fascinating exploration of the use and abuse of drugs throughout the Third Reich, especially during the execution of its rather ambitious World War II efforts. While French soldiers were being rationed red wine, German troops were marching east and west on daily doses of crystal meth. Meanwhile, the country's colorful dictator employed a personal doctor who administered everything from vitamin shots to animal hormone injections to cocaine, culminating in the Fuhrer's physical dependence to, wait for it, oxy. Oxy, you guys! Wow, such a page-turner. Or in this case, an ear-grabber. Anyhow, uh, check it out. Blitzed by Norman Oler, available on Audible. And that is my suggestion. But remember, you get to pick your own book when you go to audible.com slash supertrain. Let me tell you what your Audible membership gets you. It's going to include one free audiobook a month, exclusive sales, 30% off all regularly priced audiobooks, and unlimited access to their cool new channels content. That includes podcasts by people like Elliot Kalin, doing Presidents Are People Too. I love that show. You can choose from audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and, as we said, business information providers. It's all in there. It's Audible. Free apps for iPhone, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. Download and listen on an iOS device, Android, Amazon Fire Tablets, Windows Phone. It's everywhere you want to be. Unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you own your books. Get the My Library functionality to access your books anytime, anywhere, right from your smartphone, and the great listen guarantee. If you didn't like it, you can swap it. So once again, please go visit audible.com slash supertrain to start your trial and get your free audiobook today. Our thanks to Audible for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. Right? Like, I like the pity of the Zed. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, I hear you. I hear you. Oh, I, wait, I think there should be a Y. I think it should be P M Y D Z? No, P E E R M Y D S. P E E R Y? No, M Y D S. Pyramids. Do you have an A in there? No A. Just pyramids. <laughs> P-E-E-R-M-Y-D-Z. Uh, not Z. I feel like the Z is too, too far. The Z, the Z is, a, is, a, is, a, is an Australia too far. Pyramids. Can we capitalize not, the M? Uh, Can we capitalize P-E- the M? Oh, okay. All right. All right. Capitalize the M. P-E-E-R capital M-Y-D-S. Pyramids. <laughs> That seems like like a website you would have to log into if you were going to see an oncologist. I think it's true. (laughs) This is your Dutch cancer doctor. Pyramids. 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 Dr. Pyramids. Uh, It works on a lot of levels. So, you know, we don't... So anyway, so I went to this dinner. Oh, yeah. And I leaned up again. So I get there and my my friend's like, well, I'm sitting at table four. What are you going to do? And I was like, you know, let let me worry about that. You you go sit. You have your steak dinner. Let me, still, let me so worry have you, about. Have you gotten your way in yet? Have you have you? Well, I'm in, I'm in because you know they can't. It's a, it's an open. You, you go to a check in desk when you walk in, but that's honor system stuff, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, and the oh, thing I is, see. I see, I see. The, the thing about this is that I donated an electric guitar to this auction. A not inexpensive electric guitar. In fact, an electric guitar uh, that uh, is was a signature model. Of a certain kind of artist, and actually signed by that artist, an hmm. artist you may remember uh, by the name of Matthew Sweet. Matthew Sweet is a is it one of those double cutaways? 
That's a double cutaway guitar. Yes, yes. Something. Well, something? no, it's a spe- it's a special model. Special Is this model, from your not- relationship with the Gibson Company, John? Back this in the day, my relationship with a guitar company, not the Gibson Company. <clears throat> Recently made a uh, Matthew Sweet signature model guitar signed. Signed on the in the sticker on the inside. The people by working Sweet. in the factory want nothing more than to make you your dream guitar. That's all they do all day long is want to make your dream guitar, but you can't make your dream guitar. There's no skew. Ah. They don't have a skew for it. They don't have a skew for it. I've, God I, I've damn been it! There, I've, I've been there. I've st- I've walked around. I've asked them interesting questions. I I've still think them. about that story, and it still breaks my heart to think about it. Yeah, they're in there still, probably smoking those cigarettes down to their knuckles and making guitars. But it's they can't not like it. it's not like they don't want to do it. They want to do that. They're luthiers. This says right there. They're Martin luthiers. They want to. They want to make you a guitar. They do. They want to make this guitar for me, and they cannot because there's not a skew. No skew. Uh, that's not how it was in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And Sorry, 2000s. Scotty Moore. Can't make you a guitar. We don't have a skew. Yeah. That's how it is now. Sickening. In any case, I lean up against the wall in the back of the room uh, with the waiters. Right? The waiters are, are up against the wall. They're watching. They're, you know, they're getting ready to serve the salad course. Mm-hmm. I start chit-chatting with some waiters. Hey, what's up? How's it going? You know, oh, good, good. Yeah, it's a nice night, right? And, you know, this is how I've been. This is how I've lived my whole life, chit-chatting yeah. with the waiters. Yeah. That, that's my friend class, right? My friend class is not the donor class. It's the waiter class. Mm. Then the woman who is putting on the event uh, walks by. She doesn't really walk by so much as she glides by. <clears throat> and she sees me standing there talking to the waiters, and she stops, and she goes, John, hello. Nice to see you. Because, of course, you know, this is how you get in, right? you got to know somebody. I say, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Good. We talk. We chat. She says, thank you for the guitar. I go, anytime. Listen, I want to fund this program as much as you do. And then she says, by way of ending the conversation, because she's headed off on an important mission, mm-hmm. she she you know, she kind of puts one hand in the small of my back as though to guide me to my table. And she says, where are you sitting? Where are you sitting? Let me, uh, let me walk you over. Hmm. And oh. I think she... I think, you know, she's a maven, right? She wants to walk me over because she wants to see who else is sitting at the table so she can, you know, make introductions, right? She's somebody who It's make- about the connections and the networking and the people. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so she doesn't want to just say, why don't you get to your table? I'll, <clears throat> I'll be right there. <clears throat> or, you know, I have other business to do. She wants to walk me to the table and say, oh, you know, Maisie Glotz. <laughs> Uh, do you know John Roderick? You're sitting at the same table. And then I go, oh, hello, Maisie. Oh, of course I know Maisie. <laughs> Pins on fun or just keep getting taken back to that same group. <laughs> Listen, that's right. Uh, do you know Muhammad and uh, Ahmed? Ahmed. <laughs> um, so, and you know, and then I then then it would be an opportunity for me to say, oh, I know that I go way back with the glasses. Oh, the like, glasses. Really? I know the glasses, too. So I say, um... I don't have a table, you know. I just kind of, I just kind of waltzed in here. Honestly, I, I didn't expect to come. I was just waltzing in, mm-hmm. and and this is the thing. When we talk about when we talk about unchecked privilege, mm-hmm. boy, it's really a thing. And then there's the kind of privilege that you're very aware of and just have no interest in checking. <laughs> and then there are the uh, and then there's the kind of privilege where you just donated a guitar to an auction. Yeah. And she says, "Oh, let's find you a table." And so she waltzes me over. Oh, so she, but she's so she's not uh, put off by this. Not not even you know she's <clears throat> she's the consummate hostess, right? Just yeah. blink an eye. Oh, of course you came without having done anything. Of course you decided to come here four minutes ago and just decided to come. 
it was not was not inhibited at all by not having a ticket mm-hmm. but but just came right so she and but she's the she's the big wheel right so she starts looking around the room and she goes huh there's a table over there with an open seat and she walks me over and of course she knows everybody at the table you know them you know the so and so's and the so and so's and she sits me down uh, next to a guy and it turns out he's the CFO of Napster hmm. what and I said, Napster. Uh, you mean still he was the CFO no. of Napster? No. So he. So I sit down and, I, and this is this is how we're introduced. And he goes, "Hey," and I say, "Napster is the thing." And he goes, "Yeah, Napster has been purchased by Rhapsody." And I think it. Well, so it still exists in some form. Okay. And uh, and so all of a sudden. I go from leaning against the wall with the waiters to talking about how Napster um, ruined the music business. But of course, he probably didn't uh, get that much. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> well, the thing is that he is, you know, he's come into it. Yeah, I mean, the, the the music industry had already been ruined two more times after that, probably by the time he came in. I'm sure that's a fundamentally different content provider than Napster was. Well, sure, and you know, and and at the time he was in a different line of work. Mm-hmm. Right, he did, he's not a he's not a music person. He's a financial person. Sure, so he was you know he was working for Macmillan Blodell, and now he doesn't. Now there's no institutional memory of when Napster ruined the music business. Now everybody's streaming. We're all streaming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. California streaming. That's, mm-hmm. that's right. And so uh, so and the streaming people feel like they're doing musicians a great service. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> so he was excited to talk about. He was excited to talk about all the things that he wasn't going to do specifically for me, mm-hmm. but what he was doing generally for for, uh, for your the, kind. Yeah, for the world of music. Yeah. So it was very, you know, it was like talk about talk about pop music. Mm-hmm. Talk yeah, about New York, London, Paris, Munich. <laughs> New York, London, Paris, Munich. Those are going to be the headquarters of. Of pyramids. Yeah. We're not actually going to be in pyramids. We're not, our offices aren't going to be pyramids. I wonder how that'll work out. Pyramids, uh, which. <laughs> does, that, does that bring something up when you search it? Oh, you know, I'm not, even, I'm, not I'm not even, you know, I probably should look. I see. should look. No, it just says, are you talking about, are you talking about pyramids? And it spells it correctly. Oh, good. That's a good sign. Well, it suggests to me that someone else has ever put in that spelling. Of I was exactly okay. I, don't, I shouldn't even admit this, but I found exactly one match, which is a site called Name Ideas Generator. No, and that's if you enter in the the letters M Y D S. Yeah, but the thing is, you know, it's like mailing the song to yourself. I think I think as long as we build a pyramid or or inhabit a pyramid somewhere. I think we're gonna. I think we get the uh, first right of refusal. It's called. Wait a minute. Do you mail songs to yourself? I used to. I read. That, I read that's. I read that's as good as copyright. I'm not sure how that holds up in court. So you would put it in a cassette tape and mail it to yourself. No, it works. And, and never no, open. no. We're talking about no, no. So what I heard was when you write a <laughs> when you yeah. write a song. I think I've sh- heard this too. Yes, you should type it up. This makes absolutely no sense, just to think about it for even a second. So what do you do? The idea is, oh, if you don't <clears throat> copyright, you know, it's a thing, and you got to copyright right. your song, your song about, you know, uh, how terrible uh, Palm Beach is, or whatever, like my terrible punk rock songs. So you mail it to yourself. Yeah. And then if you ever just, have to just, defend... Just on a piece of paper, Oh, though. sure. Because then now you got the you got the date on there. 
Yeah. So I guess the the, the problem the, the one problem with this is you only get one opportunity to take that out of the envelope. You and I are not copyright lawyers. <laughs> no, we should probably say that. We are we are pyramidpreneurs. Yeah, that's right. Pyramidpreneurs. But you're saying that's you only get one heard. chance to take it out of the envelope. Well, this is like the same this is the same era and crowd from which I heard that if you walk around with weed in your shoe it turns into hash. So yeah. You well, or if wanna... you ask a, if, if you ask a cop if he's a cop, he's got to say yes. That's right. Show me your dick. Let me smell yeah. your dick. Take it out. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You, yeah, everybody knows that. This is all you know. This is you know what this is, John. This is stuff you learn on the streets. Well, sure. If you ever saw the movie Training Day, mm-hmm. you know you've got to smoke a little PCP with your partner. Yeah. Because what if you you know what if you're with some bad guy and he says, "Why don't you take a hit of this PCP?" Yeah, not what he's expecting. No, you got to know how to. You got to know how to hit PCP mm-hmm. if you really expect. Yes. If you really expect to be taken seriously by the bad guys. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. So, uh, so you're saying because I heard this too about the copywriting the uh, the song, and I never did it. But uh, it's not that I didn't. It's not that I didn't do it because I didn't believe that it would work. Hey, John, hang on a minute. Oh, your mic just changed. Happened? Your mic just changed. <laughs> Did it change in a good way or a bad way? Bad way. You sound like you're talking into your uh, com- computer directly. Oh, what about now? Oh, you sound fantastic. Oh, thank you. Isn't that fun when that happens? <laughs> did so, you, did well, you gesture wildly? Um, you know what I did? I have <clears throat> I have a couple of uh, of like uh, rabbit ear antennas here on the top of my computer. Okay. Sometimes you have to hit the computer on the side real hard and then adjust the rabbit ears. Oh, I, have a piece I get it. Hey, hey, sit on it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, pyramids. Uh, oh, you see, so you send it to yourself now. Now, if you're that concerned about copyright, it seems like you might want to explore it more. But that was the word on the street. You got to smell a cop's dick, and you, you, you mail the song to yourself, ironclad. As somebody, if Woody who Guthrie has, did that, he'd be alive today. If Woody Guthrie had done that, he'd be alive today. You That's know, right. I say that at least once a day. Oh, all the time I'm saying that. But uh, if I. <clears throat> So I actually have copyrighted uh, music, and I actually hired a copyright lawyer. Mm-hmm. I think I may have described this to you before, where I copyrighted the name The Long Winters. because Oh, and you had to deal with the Wilderses. The Wilderses. But it was because there was a band that was calling themselves A Long Winter. Mm-hmm. Like, they put out a record or two immediately after The Long Winters came along. There was no debate that The Long Winters were The Long Winters before A Long Winter was A Long Winter. But somehow, can you imagine... Being somebody who's like, well, there is a band called The Long Winters, but we're a long winter. You you see, I, I, I get that in the late 60s for two reasons. Because the world was smaller, for one thing. You could get away with, with calling your band, you know, The Beatless or something like that. Or even The Beatles. Like, not, maybe not The Beatles, but you could get away with a lot because the world was smaller. But second, like, you know, just Google it. Like, we just did. Yeah, we, right. You know, <laughs> I mean, like, th- th- that's just weird. Even in Alta Vista, you could Alta Vista a long winter. Yeah, you could use Wolfram Alpha. Wolfram Alpha. Yeah, uh, yeah, but or you could call yourselves A Long Winter UK. Oh, but right. Mm-hmm. You don't just put out a record called A Long Winter. No. So anyway, I had to go to this copyright lawyer, and then what I discovered about a copyright lawyer is talk about a pyramid scheme. Mm. Lawyers, I don't know if you knew this. Yeah. This is something that I've learned by in dealing with this copyright lawyer. If a lawyer's office wants to send you an email. They type the email. <laughs> have we discussed this? Go ahead. They type the email. Yeah, they, 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 they have a way they like to bill an invoice. Yeah, they type the email, and as they begin to type the email, the clock is ticking. 
They are charging you for the expense of typing the email telling you that uh, they have an opportunity for you to pay them some money. Yeah. Like, they're billing you and they're charging you for billing you. And it feels to me like that is the most genius business model. Mm. That's the most genius business model of all. One for you, to, 19 for me. <laughs> to bill somebody for the, for the expense of the time it takes to bill them. They, you know what? This should be part of pyramids. I think so, too. I think recursion should be a huge part of our recursion. I think so, too. Right? Everything so that's too. in the show is in the show. And everything Listen, in pyramids is part of pyramids. We're a business yes. that, that uh, takes businesses mm-hmm. and turns them into businesses. We business as, your business harder. As soon as we start turning a business into a business, that's yeah. our business. That's our business. We're the business start- of America is business, and the business of pyramids is business. Is, is business, and we're going to charge you for charging you. As part of our business, as part of our business of businesses, we're charging you for charging. Every time we charge them, we're going to charge them for the expense of charging them. Well, and, but then of course there is the recharge surcharge. Oh, there should be a surcharge to recharge. There's a surcharge to recharge. <clears throat> also, if you have any inquiries about your bill, there, there may be a very, very, very small, large fee associated with the uh, request surcharge recharge. Uh, if there are any inquiries, we're going to have to make some inquiries. Should 5% appear too small? Be thankful I don't take it all. <laughs> uh, oh, Mr. You know. Wilson. Oh, ho, Mr. Heath. <laughs> uh, sitting in an English garden. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, quiet, now stealing... quiet desperation is the English way. Okay, so... Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now let's see. Who do we owe money to for that? So the thing is, it won't be... It would be not Northern Song. We would owe it to Harris Songs. We yeah. we know the Harris songs and his lawyers, and yeah. to what was that? Was that Dave Gilmore? Yeah, yeah. I think well, Roger Waters I mean, is playing Dave Gilmore songs in in the newly refreshed uh, Pink Floyd. I noticed that too. Did you see but that, like in movie stopped, trailers? It never stopped uh, uh, Gilmore from playing Waters songs. I mean, although I don't think that Gilmore ever played <clears throat> pros and cons of hitchhiking. These are the pros and cons of hitchhiking. <laughs> hitchhiking. Oh, Ugh. You remember know, the, the butt on the cover the though. Hmm. Why that was the single? That should that record had good songs on it. But I, I just remember the butt on the cover. There's yeah, a really a, prominent lady's butt on the cover. Was a prominent butt. Mm-hmm. That He's, was really that was a big butt era. Not not large as in not large as in butts. I can't deny. But more like in that era, you just saw some big shiny butts all the time. Uh, you got, Mike, a, you got uh, what's his name from uh, Loverboy? Mike Love is that his name? Mike Reno. Uh, you got his butt on the cover of the album. There were a lot of butts, butts and berets. Oh, well, think about uh, Bruce Springsteen's Bruce butt. Springsteen's it, sold, butt? it sold 10 million copies of that record. <clears throat> That's right. Born down in a dead man's town. Now, see, now I, I'm going to owe Bruce Springsteen money. Maybe we could pull him in. Maybe we could get him an equity share in pyramids. We should bring in some of these artists who don't have to pay for quoting their songs. You know, the pros and cons of Hitchhiking Record cover, now that I'm looking at it, at the time that this came out, mm-hmm. right, which would have been, what, 1982? Yeah. yeah, about 82. <laughs> So 1982, right? This is this is a key time for me in the development of my sense of what it is, what 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 life is going to be, right? Mm-hmm, 1982. Mm-hmm. So I am 13, mm-hmm, and I'm just I'm just evolving. Uh, what is you know like a lot of people's like sexuality starts to evolve. You know, your sexuality starts to evolve. 
within within a pretty wide range of time, right? I think your you you start your sexuality starts to evolve obviously when you're a little child, but as you get to be like in your teens, puberty comes into play, and all of a sudden you have these strange feelings, but you're looking around, can't decide who's more important, your peers or the or the other you know the other side where your where your romantic interest lies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're thinking you know what do, who do I owe my allegiance to? What's the best way to go about this? How do I navigate this territory? And I really struggled in this time. I know everybody does, but I really didn't know what to do at all. And part of it was that I didn't have a very good idea of what my desire was. I wasn't sure what exactly I desired hmm. on the on the other side of the of the divide, right? I wasn't sure if I was straight or gay for a long time. I struggled with the idea, you know, what I I wasn't I couldn't exactly nail down what I was looking for in somebody else. Not not physically, not emotionally, not anything, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was in this fog of like, is that attractive to me? Is this attractive to me? Is this person attractive? Is that person attractive? Couldn't say for the life of me. And it's not that I, it's not that I wasn't attracted uh, to any of those people or things. I was attracted to them kind of all. And, but I, but you know, what was my taste? I guess I didn't know. Well, and, and you know, I mean, I feel you because there's this thing of, if you think about it, like, <clears throat> gosh, I you know, like my, you know, my daughter's nine and she's like doing some stuff more. Like she's thinking about her hair a little more and picking out outfits and stuff. And I could just feel like it's probably like the tip of the spear of, you know, this coming into her own. But you think about you're describing how like this stuff starts from such a young age. And it, it's, but it's so impossibly abstract because like you're describing here, like, am I straight? Am I gay? Like, well, what does that even mean? Like, yeah. like I, I can be attracted to this, butt, but not that, butt. like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yes. oh, so, so like, let me show you this. It's like one of the things in national geographic world where you zoom way in on something, and go and oh, here's this image. Are you attracted to that? Oh, well, you're a fact. Like, uh, Ooh, the wrong, but yes. it's yes, like, that's right. so weird. That's so strange. And you're expected to derive your entire adult identity based on like guessing how to answer that question. Right. It's so yep. odd. It really was. And they go, and oh, no, actually it's not a, butt. it's an elbow. You're a pervert. Like, it's so weird. Well, and, and, and at, <clears throat> at that particular time, right, there was a, it, uh, like, to, if you think back to, and this is, again, will sound crazy to, uh, to younger people, but like, there were uh, body types that were not just preferred, but it was like the body type of the era, right? If you think back to the Victorian times and you have this tiny little waist and this giant, you know, the the like a hoop skirt in order yeah. to imitate like the biggest possible butt you like could a have. Yeah. Yeah. The tiniest little waist. And Most then, women I know today would not want a bow on the back of a dress. And yet back no. then you'd, you'd get a bustle. You'd get a bustle, right? Nineteen uh, fifties. You got your uh, you got your Marilyn Monroe pointy, uh, pointy style bodies, and then in the in the sixties, this model called Twiggy came along, who was rail thin, and she was sort of imitating the style of the nineteen twenties, the kind of uh, uh, flapper body, which was like you know small bust, small hips, just right. sort of uh, narrow, um, lean, androgynous. F- form and then in the 80s in the 70s well in the 70s yeah right i guess playboy this is magazine right in the middle of the jane fonda let's get physical era let's get physical era right where there was a lot of like uh everybody was in really good uh, the the ideal let's say was yeah. really good physical shape but it still was like big breasts like 
like I guess I guess this was the era of big breast, small butt, maybe mm-hmm. a tight but butt, anyway, a tight butt, a tight. But this was yeah. uh, this was still at a time when there was a kind of a single idea culture wide of what beauty was, and it's not you know now it's such a diversity of beauty that you could never recall a time probably where. Unless you're a certain age where there was just like, well, that's beautiful and everything else is weird. Um, and at the t- at the time when I was coming into my uh, into my agency, um, the sexual uh, the 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 beauty form, right, which was typically blonde with like blown out hair. Farrah Fawcett. Oh, I mean, yeah. Farrah Fawcett didn't have a big bust. But she was, you know, Loney Anderson, right? This was the ideal, and I, and it and it held no attraction to me. Like I was, I did not. That was just it. Did nothing for me. It didn't ring any bells. Um, I was always like much more intrigued by small people with short dark hair, uh, regardless of like what their gender was. And so the pros and cons of hitchhiking record cover was like very titillating, right? It's a naked person mm-hmm. from behind. Uh, and I hadn't thought of it in years, so I hadn't gone to look at it. But when I you think go it's to... a lady, it's it's a lady. I remember it's like a lady with a shiny butt in high heels. Am I remembering it right? Wearing a backpack, sticking out her thumb because she's hitchhiking. Okay, so these and are these would that are... be considered the the pros or the cons we're seeing well, here. It, this is depends, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, this is one of the pros of hitchhiking. Oh, ask, ask grass get... or blown glass. Nobody <laughs> rides for free. Uh, you would if this was a person that you were hitchhiking uh, that you picked up while hitchhiking I think you would consider it a pro if you were most people yeah but you want to put something on the seat probably oh sure a towel Wow, this is much more uh, poorly produced than I remember. Yeah, it's a really bad. The art is really bad. It looks like a looks like a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a like a Winston Smith thing for Dead Kennedys. Like it's really weird. Yeah, or or, or somebody initially had the idea like let's do one of those Warhols like the or cover like of we Billy want Squire. A Ralph, we want a Ralph Steadman kind of look, but we can't afford Ralph Steadman. Yeah, right. So we'll throw some paint at a at a picture of a girl. But if you look at her picture now, she's extremely thin. She's very tall and lean. Yeah. But I remember it being described at the time of like, oh, it's you know, this is like a big butt or I remember you know, her like butt seeming bigger butt. at the time. Yeah. Not 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 yeah. a pejorative, but yeah. No. I, but like it really stood out. And what I'm saying is I think that record like put in it it was the type of of uh cultural thing that went wide where it changed how we looked at butts it really did it changed how i look at butts yeah and um and i'd like to un i'd like to unravel i'd like to go back in time and not have that have affected my oh interesting uh, you want to go back and kind of rewrite those uh those blocks yeah yeah i think so i mean i think that it is i think it did me a disservice it did us all a disservice oh yeah to have that particular butt which is a fine butt let me not just let me not disparage that Mm -mm. butt but i do not i did that is not the size of butt that i think is like what would be considered like normal sized or even like that's not that's not my taste in butts let's say and i think that it affected my ability to have a taste in a different kind of butt for a little brief period where i was like geez if i is this that's a if that's a big butt let mm-hmm. me tell you, I'm living in the wrong country, mister. Yeah, it's almost like you got, I want to say, miscalibrated. Mm, miscalibrated. If you were a piece of lab equipment, like you would be functioning within normal parameters without ever knowing that even though you're accurate to how you were calibrated, that calibration was not a good calibration. So here's an interesting factoid. that uh, The model of that butt yeah. uh, uh, 
is a woman named Lindsay Drew. Lindsay spelt with an I, a Z I, L I N Z I. Okay. Lindsay. Lindsay. Lindsay Drew. Okay. We should we should hire. She's only ten years older than I. Do you want to get her in on the ground floor of pyramids? Well, I feel like she would be a perfect spokesperson for pyramids. Would she have but to show she, her butt? No, 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 no. No, but no, she no, could no. speak from a place of wisdom. That's exactly right. She could speak from a place of. Uh, she could speak from a time when her, uh, when she understood that her butt was like a taste making butt. Mm. But also, she's had a lot of experience. She uh, she did quite a bit of nude modeling. At the time, and then uh, became sort of a, you know, she, um, well, she retired from that. Oh, I see. Adult films. Yeah. And she has also, then she was an actress. She appeared in American Werewolf in London. I love that movie. Oh, she's in Lair of the White Worm. Yeah, I don't know what that is. But oh, is that... that's what it is. Ken Russell. It's got uh, Amanda Donahue, a very young um, Peter Capaldi. Mm-hmm. You ever seen it? Oh, it's weird. Oh, it's got Hugh Grant in it. Hugh, very young Hugh Grant. It is such yeah. a wackadoo movie. Oh, Salome's Last Dance. No way. British horror film. That film. So Mistress, anyway, Mistress Monique. Oh, she has a child named Tiger. Tiger Drew Honey. This is the type of thing that, without the internet, we could never possibly know that the that the woman from the cover of the the late Roger Waters's uh, great album, mm-hmm. Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking, his first solo album. Uh, if you if you do not consider the final cut of uh, Roger Waters' solo album, mm. which some which some in, incorrect let's, let's critics let's save that do. for another show. Um, but that she, that model, who made such a great impact on us at the time, uh, actually was in a movie with Hugh Grant. We could never have known that if it wasn't for the existence of the internet. Mm. And then here do we are. Do you think are. we're this better is... off? Do you think we're better off? You know, I was thinking about this the other day, and I don't know if uh, <clears throat> I don't know if we've covered this. Uh, in as great a detail as I think we should, and I and I, and by saying that I, I suspect that we have not, okay. because I'm, I want to cover it some more. But I do really feel like right now this is a this will be remembered as the era when things got inputted. This will be remembered as the input era, and hmm. at us because because there are there is now a a sort of mixed generation of people who. Remember looking things up in books who remember a time when information was scarce, who remember a time when when Lindsay Drew did not. It was not necessarily going to be easy to figure out who Lindsay Drew was. There are a lot of us who who remember that time, but also are Internet savvy, you know, or at least Internet, Internet literate. And. Behind us is a generation that has no idea how to use the internet and they still are trying to look things up in books and ahead of us are a generation that never learned how to look up things in books. And, and if it isn't on the internet, it doesn't exist. And so for those of us in this, in this middle period, there is a tremendous obligation, I think, to make sure that as much stuff gets onto the internet as possible. It's the and I really think it's the Wikipedia generation mm. is, is how we'll be understood mm-hmm. because if it doesn't make it onto the internet now, it's going to be a lot more oh, difficult. I see what you're saying. It's along the lines of, hey, go interview your elderly relatives. That's right. That's right. So, like, even if you don't do anything with that tape today, tape. Listen to me. You can uh, do something in the future. You're saying get it on the internet now, or it's never going to be anywhere. 
That's right. So I was thinking about this in terms of I was looking out the window of my bathroom at my catalpa tree. Mm-hmm. And when I first moved into this house, I <clears throat> looked out the window at that catalpa tree and I said, you know what I should do? I should keep an almanac. I should keep a little book here by the window. And every um, every year I should write down when the leaves first come out on the catalpa. I should write down when the leaves finally drop off of the catalpa in the fall. I should write down uh, the changing seasons in this little almanac that I keep by this window because I'm in this room every day and it would be an, and I, I should just notate things as they occur when this when it snows what days have rain you know just like old-fashioned kind of almanac well, I was looking out the window uh, yesterday and I realized like that is a thing over the course of history that a lot of people have done they've kept little almanacs of uh, at their farm and uh, and it's been a source of great pleasure for them. And, and I think there are probably lots and lots of people who have kept almanacs for 40 years. And they have a 40-year record of all the first leafing out and, and what, you know, how many birds they saw this year, how f- many fewer birds they saw the following year. And those almanacs were always considered uh, kind of records of the property. Maybe you would hand it down to whoever bought the farm. It's a little like a captain's log. A captain's log. But like it could uh, be, it, it might seem, day to day, it's, it's well, it, what it is, is it's ephemeral data from day to day. Like writing down what the temperature was in the field in this one spot is very ephemeral, but over time, that's very meaningful. Yeah, right. And I think the great almanacs, um, like, you know, if Lewis Bromfield kept an almanac, that almanac eventually ended up in uh, the public library in Ohio somewhere in, you know, in uh, whatever, Lucas, Ohio. And those, you know, and truly great almanacs became uh, things that were recognized as like, oh, this is actually part of the historical record. Like I, I had to just, look him up. Lewis Bromfield is a science farmer from Ohio. Science farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, I wish there were more science farmers, Marf! frankly. What, what, wait a minute. Wasn't science farmer also the description of Matthew McConaughey in that dumb movie where he's <laughs> behind the bookshelf? Science farmer. Marf! <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, <laughs> Lewis, sorry, Lewis Bromfield of Mansfield, Ohio. Okay, Mansfield. <clears throat> Any, in, in, anyway, so right now around the country, right there are people whose grandparents have a little farm, and they now have moved to the big city. They're living in Cincinnati, and they're working for Pyramids.com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and they go back home and. You know, maybe it comes up in conversation or they're, you know, they look on the bookshelf and they see, what is this? You know, Grandma, what is this? Oh, that's the almanac. And we put in every year how many crows came and ate our seed. And (laughs) there's an opportunity right there in that moment to recognize a person our age or, or slightly younger to recognize in that moment, oh, my goodness, this is a wealth of information. And it right now is not searchable. It's not disseminatable. It, it cannot be connected to anything else. And if I don't input this somehow, if I don't make it a special project to go and input this data, then it will not exist in the future. And it's a missed opportunity because if everybody put in all their family almanacs, we would be able then to cross-reference those almanacs and say, on April 1st, anywhere in the United States, was it, you know, what was the weather? What was the, when did the leaves come out? You know, right, this right, is like, right. and it's not just true of almanacs, it's true of everything. If you, if your grandparents don't get biographied now, 
they never will. And it wasn't right. a thing that we ever cared about before because who cared? I mean, there wasn't, there never would have been, you would have written a biography of your great grandmother and then that would have gone on the shelf in your family house. It's only now that that stuff is, uh, and it's useful in the aggregate, right? But, you it's, know, but there's, there's two, there's at least a couple angles. There's the one angle that's always been true, which is that this is very, this is very delicate information that gets harder to gather, harder to collect and, you know, compile every every month, really, let alone every year. Like, if you want to do a lot of information on World War One veterans, well, that window is kind of closed, and now you're going to have to really go sift through papers. The other thing is, there's so much other new information crowding out all the other information. I mean, I understand information is just information, but, like, the finding a needle in a haystack is, is going to get harder as that those haystacks become multiplied. Well, it's, and that's, what I, that's why I feel like this is such an important moment, because the almanacs from farms... Um, that uh, from farms older than the the la- the the generation of great grandparents that are still alive right now, right? The very few World War II veterans that are still alive. Mm-hmm. Those almanacs are still sitting on the shelves. Uh, it's a a very very small number of their grandparents' almanacs that have survived thus far. Because what happens is somebody dies, and it's just like my mom handing me that envelope that said "pictures of people you never knew," <laughs> and she hands me this giant Manila envelope, and I go, "What the hell is this?" And she said, "Well, I was going to throw this away, but I know that this is the type of thing that you used to yell at me when I throw away, so I thought I would just bring it to you, and you can decide what to do with it." Pictures of people you never knew. Wow. And I I opened it up and I poured it out on the table and it is a you know it's probably 500 black and white photographs a lot of them scalloped edged portraits that were given out on high school graduation right your high school graduation photo that you traded with all your friends uh but a ton of pictures of just like people in t-shirts and khakis throwing a football there's a 19 19- 39 Ford in the background. There was a trip that that her class took to Cuba wow. in in the early 50s. Just like photos that are no longer connected to anybody. They don't have anyone's name written on them. And my mom could sit with me and write down the name of each person that she could remember on the back of these photos. But what is what's happening there is that those photos are going in the garbage. And the only reason they're not is that I'm holding them right now and I don't know what to do with them. But every year when people die, all that record just goes into the it just falls off the cliff, right? And it always has. Now, from this point forward, none of that information is going off the cliff because we're all retaining everything. Mm-hmm. And when the first when the catalpa tree leaves out in Seattle is recorded some you know somehow by by some sort of photograph that's going to be preserved online forever let's and i'm assuming i'm assuming this sort of conceit that what goes online is preserved forever now that may not end up being true but it's a it's a conceit from which i'm proceeding anyway so we're in this weird space where there actually is a tremendous record still existing of of a generation that's just now dying, right? We are the people who are going in and cleaning out our grandparents' house and making decisions about this stuff. Like, oh, these are pictures of people I don't know. Hopper, right? Oh, this is some almanac about some farm that we don't own anymore. Hopper. And we have an opportunity to just to, to reach back 
just 50 or 60 years and gather that information, pre-internet information, and bring it forward into the into the future. And failing to do it, then it really will be this line of like in 2005, from 2005 forward, we know we know a, a, a whole like an exponentially a greater amount about everything than from 2005 past, you know, and, and 2005, everything before 2005 will seem like the middle ages in terms of the amount of information we have about it. Right. Because it won't be accessible, right? If you go online and look up my dad, there's the only thing that's, that's online about my dad and his entire life is the obituary that I wrote. Um, that's the only record of <clears throat> so it, really. strange. And, you know, when you or I die, you'll be able to, you know, well, basically you'll be able to interact with us because we will be one of the first VR bots. Hello. <laughs> I am Merlin Mann. Please do not contact me. <laughs> Stop. 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 Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for contacting me. You I have may reached pyramids.com. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to grow your downline with pyramids? Our business is business. If you believe you are a Dutch with cancer, touch one. <laughs> I mean, I think about like my, my responsibility to my own mom. Yeah. Because she does not want any record of herself. Good for her. Right? She's the last of she's the last of a dying era where she says, "I do not want a funeral." And I said, what, what do you care? You'll be dead. The funeral is for the living. And she, she says, do not have a funeral for me. Do not write an obituary. Do not do any of that shit that you did for your father. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but, but, but. And she's like, Arr! and she's adamant, right? She wants, she wants me to take her ashes out. And I, she hasn't even stipulated. Hmm. I don't, you know, if I say, where do you want me to spread your ashes? I don't know whether she'll say, bin them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> completely completely unsympathetic but when it comes to like is my daughter when she wants to think about her nana when she wants to interact with her nana when she wants to research her know about her is she going to have a method that makes any sense to her outside of going on her computer or going up in her in her computer glasses or whatever <laughs> if I say, oh, well, the only thing, you know, the, like the way we're going to remember Nana is with this envelope called pictures of people you never knew because it's the only thing she left me. These, I guess, are people she went to high school with, sweetie. Let's sit and look at them. Like, I I don't know how to record her, not just, not for her, mm -hmm. not even for history, but to just make her alive in the future. Yeah, you're not going to have so many uh, scallop-edged photos. Yeah, right. And I and and I won't I just I think about like the way that we are being recorded literally right now. Mm -hmm. Not we're being recorded, you are actually recording us. Yeah. But it's more I mean even this program alone gives more insight into you and me in perpetuity than any single record I have of my father. Um there's no one thing I could point to and say here's one hour of my father being himself that will give you a sense of him. 
And so this, so this generation that has these cassette tapes, I mean, I do have cassette tapes of my dad doing like depositions, which are very interesting to listen to because you hear a bunch of people droning and then you hear my father's voice droning and there's always humor in my dad's voice. And when my dad speaks to the court, you can always hear the court reporter chuckling. And that gives you an amazing sense of my dad. But what's my obligation there? Do I, do I go find a cassette to digital recorder and put all those tapes in and then do a supercut of yeah. my dad going, your honor, <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like it entered into the record, you know, just like, like a bunch of three second cuts of him talking. I don't know, man. This is depressing. Well, I mean, I, and I don't even mean it to be depressing, but like, but I you feel don't? like, Oh my God. Well, in every way it's depressing. Tears and rain, John. Because when I go on Wikipedia, I'm so fascinated by what's there and what's not. Oh, you and me both, buddy. Right? And so Lindsay Drew, I never... Re- I mean, that's one of those things like, who's the model on the cover of Pros and Cons and Hitchhiking? You never think you're going to find the answer. But then somebody cared to do it. I don't know who. I don't know who was responsible. It's not a long entry. It's just a few paragraphs. But somebody said, oh, well... And, and and almost certainly was derived from that record cover because someone said, who was that model? And then did that research and then figured like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, right. I'm like, I, I always feel like this is really reductive, but I always feel like um, a fair amount of the people out there contributing to these somewhat obscure pop culture topics are the kind of people who watch DVD extras. Where like they they know they know they know it and they know where to find it. So like I, I there may not be and again this is somebody from another country. I'm not that familiar with her work, but there may be people who sought out her uh, adult film stuff because of that cover. You never know. But it could also be the DVD extra people who just happen to be able to pull that together. And all of those you know uh, you know rendezvous with Rochambeau consolidate their gifts. Like you get all these people working in concert, and you uh, pretty soon you got Stone Soup. Which yep. will be served at Pyramids, by the way. By the way, uh, well, at our employee cafeteria, stone soup every day. There's gonna, there's, it's one of the like other soups will rotate, but there will be stone soup there every, every day, day. Stone soup every day. Did you know that uh, that uh, Lindsay Drew mm. actually was the editor of the British edition of Penthouse magazine? Like she's not just a model. She oh my goodness, Penthouse. she's a she's a she's not well not maybe not an egot, but she's a slash at least. Well, and this is what confuses Lindsay. me. She appeared nude each month in Club International magazine. Now, I'm not sure how hmm. you could, I mean, I'm not sure how you could appear each month because she's I like would the house think band. She's like the house band of, of Club International. Hmm. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to spend a little bit more time with Lindsay Drew because, yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's no, not I'm, like I don't I blame have, you. I mean, it's part of your research. I didn't have a subscription to Club <laughs> International, but I certainly saw the magazine. I mean, I saw it on the on the websites. Huh, the number web of adult films, 24. I wonder how they decide what category... Well, like, what counts as an adult film? Right. What I guess I should look adult? it up on Wikipedia. Former uh, editor of Forum Magazine. Mm, Is that the Penthouse Forum Magazine? I think so. But but British edition. She's a, she's oh, a British, the British edition. Oh, I never thought this would happen to me. <laughs> 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 she was only 15 years old. 